Amen. Would you pray with me as I pray? Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the truth of the fulfilled promises, even that we just sang. Lord, I thank you that we can look back at the season that we just celebrated, up to and including yesterday, and, and it gives us great hope for the future. Because, one, you came here to do what we prayed about during our prayer time, to pay the price of the penalty of our rebellion. Lord, and two, because you finish what you start. it is still in rebellion but someday you will restore it Lord I thank you for these people who have even in the weariness of the season and, and, and the busyness of our lives and everything else have, have come here to worship the one worthy of worship Lord I want to pray I pray that you would reward their faithfulness even in the next few moments by showing us a glimpse of your glory as we worship you in your word. Lord, we look forward to the ministry of your spirit in this place. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please have a seat. At the risk of getting political the day after Christmas, right? let me ask you a question that can sometimes come across in a political way. It's the first talking points that's in your um, on your training worksheet, the first talking points on the back of your training worksheet, it says this, how is citizenship defined? What makes someone a citizen? I'm asking. So how is citizenship defined? And if you don't know why that's political, that's probably a good thing, actually, so just don't turn on the news. Um, but if, if you, like, how is citizenship def defined? What makes someone a citizen? What kinds of things? Place of birth. Good. What else? What's that? Participation. That's, that's good. Participating in the um, culture, the citizenship. Right? What else? Allegiance. I pledge allegiance. Right? As U.S. citizens to the United States of America. Good. What else? Heritage. Okay, good. What's that? Service. Are we serving? Awesome. So here's a question. How does the Bible define citizenship? It doesn't necessarily negate some of those answers that we just had, but how does the Bible define citizenship? What's that? All of that for Jesus, right? He redefines our citizenship, right, ultimately. And, and, and when we understand that citizenship is not a foreign word, pun intended, citizenship, thank you Jody for getting the joke, citizenship is not, she's back there smiling like I got it, citizenship is not a foreign word in the Bible, right? It's just that Jesus defines our citizenship. It's why he came. Right, so we're in this series about the great I am's, and that's what walked us into Christmas. And, and one of them a couple weeks ago was, or last, last Sunday, I guess it was, was the great I am is here. And today we're going to talk about how the great I am came near. The question we have to ask is, why? Like, why did Jesus have to come here and be a man? Like, he is all the things that we have seen in the I Am series, he is even the things that, that Kylie read in Revelation. He is the things that we pray about and celebrate here every Sunday. But, but specifically, why did he have to come here 
and become a man. And I believe it's because, I believe that our passage is going to show us that it's because he came to redefine our citizenship. So what we're going to see in this passage that is um, in, our, in our reading today, in, in, in the book of Galatians, so find Galatians in your Bible, it's uh, towards the middle of your New Testament. Galatians is one of the letters that Paul wrote, but it's probably one of the least read letters that Paul wrote. Because there's a lot of stuff in there that's, I mean, we all, probably the part you know about Galatians is the deeds of the flesh are evident, they are, and he lists them. And then then in chapter 5, verse 22, he lists, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We know that part of Galatians. Outside of that, we don't know a lot of Galatians. Right? And it's because there's a lot in there where what Paul is doing by the power of the Holy Spirit is he's helping us redefine our citizenship. Why does any of that matter for us this morning? I mean, you came here this morning um, maybe tired from a, from, a, from a great day, but a long day yesterday, and you went, Doug, I do not need to sit here and listen to what it means to be a citizen, whether it be of the United States or of the kingdom of heaven. Why does it matter? Here's why it matters. What you and I think about God, when, when we think about God, matters a ton. What, what, when, what comes to your mind when you think about God, when, what comes to your mind about you, and about God matters massively. And all of that is filtered through how you see your citizenship. If you see yourself as an enemy of God, when you think about God, you don't tend to think good things. When you see yourself in Christ as a citizen of the kingdom, it completely changes what you think of your heavenly father and ultimately what you think of you. Right? My hope is that today, what you get out of today's message about citizenship and why Christ came to be a man, to be a citizen of the United, or not of the United States, but of, um, of the world as a human being, why he came is because he wants us to understand that ultimately you are who you are because the great I am says that's who you are. I want you to remember this. I, am, I want you to like repeat this to yourself over and over in 2022. I am who I am because the great I am says that I am. That's it. And we're going to end today, Lord willing, having um, a, the reminder that that's really what matters. So what we're looking at today is what did Christ's coming really do for you? Like really do for you. Right? If, 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 if the I am came near, what did that act actually do? And what we're going to see is what Jesus emptied himself into. It's what we saw on Friday here. Not just what he emptied, it's not what he emptied himself of, like Paul talks about in Colossians and Philippians, but what he emptied himself into. A human is what really matters to you and I. And what we're going to see in this passage is what did it really accomplish? We're going to see, and it's the outline is on your sheet, we're going to see that Christ's coming made your adoption possible so you could be a son or daughter of the living God and, not, and no longer slaves of sin and the world. So if you found Galatians, we're going to start in chapter 4 and verse 1, and we're going to look at what did Christ's coming truly do. The first point is, Christ's coming made your adoption possible. Now look at the first three verses, and you're going to see why Galatians is not often a read, is probably Paul's least read book. It says, 
I mean that there, that there, that, I'm sorry, let me start over. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Now, I'm going to read that again, and it's going to come up on the screen in the New Living Translation. Because you see, you're like, wait a minute, what's he, he's, he, the heirs and slaves and the elementary principles of this world. So here's how the New Living Translation, translation translates this. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than the slaves in the house until they grow up even though they actually own everything their father had. So think about that for a minute. He's saying that the heirs of the, like if, if, if my dad had been a wealthy man before he passed away, I, everything that was his is mine. But it's not mine when I'm, but, but it wouldn't have been mine if he'd have died when I was a little kid because nobody's going to trust me with it. Right? But he says, you keep going in verse 2, but they, they have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before we came to Christ. When we were, when we were immature, he's like, you couldn't be trusted. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. Now, here's what we got to understand about Galatians. And remember, context is king. Right? That's one of our principles as we talk about training to teach God's truth. And I, and I picked it up in what we call chapter 4, verse 1. But we have to remember, when he starts in on this, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different. That's in the context of something. What's the context? Glad you asked. Turn back a page to Galatians 5, 3, verse 15. The context that Paul's trying to get us to is he's trying to say, guys, you, you were like children... Under the law. But you've always had access to God's grace if you'd just known it was yours to take. Now here's what he says in, in Galatians 3 verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. So he's saying even in agreements between men and between people, you don't annul something once it, once it has been ratified. A covenant, um, a contract, we would think of in our vernacular. They're not necessarily the same thing, but in our, in our world, we would think of it as a contract. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Now, get this, guys. It does not say, and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Here's what Paul's trying to make clear for us. He's trying to say, guys, all of these promises, all the way back to Abraham, which is in Genesis 12, right? Like, like Genesis 12. I'm not going to have you turn. Like, that's this part of my Bible. Like, all of these promises, he's saying, were made about some one thing. Not a bunch of them. Not a, a bunch of things. All of those bunch of promises were made about one thing. And what is the thing? Well, the answer is the what isn't a what, it's a who. And he tells us, the who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years after, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. God gave Abraham 
God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Guys, understand this. He's saying God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. He continues to walk through that in Genesis 13, 14, 15, all the way through Genesis 17. Guys, and that storyline continues. Along comes Moses who gives us the law. And he's like, but guys, and, and here's, what, here's what the people that, G, that, that Paul is addressing started to do. They started to go, for us to grab the promise, we have to hold on to the law. In other words, for us to get the inheritance, I have to follow the rules. Right? Because that's how we think. Like, I mean, if we're saying, like, what was the will, the last will and testament, and if there were stipulations in that will, I have to follow that will in order to get the inheritance that, that is stipulated in the will. That's how we would function. He's saying, guys, that's not how God functions. He's saying, there was a promise made to Abraham that was fulfilled in Christ. At that point, everybody that believes in the promise, he's saying, Abraham didn't believe in the law. The law didn't come for 400 and something years. The only thing Abraham had to believe in, I mean, the only thing he had that he could believe in was that God came and said, Abraham, through you all the nations of the world will be blessed by your seed, singular, through Christ. That was what caused Abraham to get saved. And, and the Bible tells us in the New Testament, right here for one, but also in Hebrews, that Abraham understood it. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. What did he believe God about? The Ten Commandments? Did Abraham believe the Ten Commandments? I'm asking, did Abraham believe the Ten Commandments? No. How do we know? They weren't even written yet. So how could he have believed in them? Now, I'm not saying he didn't, pra well, although you think about it, he didn't really even practice them either. But he didn't, the point is, he didn't, he was not that, for the father of our faith, he was a mess. Which just gives me great encouragement, because I'm a mess. So if God can use Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, all, and David and all the rest of them, then he can use you and I, right? And that's what he chooses to do. Why? And this is an aside from my notes. Why? Because Paul tells us, again, he tells us in one of his more red letters, 1 Corinthians, he tells us, well, consider your calling. Consider those of you that are sitting in this room that are in Christ. Consider who you are, Paul says. Not many of you were wise. It's his polite way of saying we're all idiots. Not many of you were noble. It's his way of saying that we're all just vile people that had no, character, had no good character. He said, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. Why? So that he would get the glory. So it's Abraham too. So, so what Paul is trying to tell us, back to Galatians, what Paul is trying to tell us is he's saying, guys, Abraham did not gain the inheritance by fulfilling any contract. He gained the inheritance by believing a promise. And that's all that mattered. That's all that mattered to him. So if we look back at, well, let me, let me finish up in, in three, Galatians 3 where I left you. I, I, because we might ask the question, then fairly, we might ask the question, then what in the world is all this about? If in other words, if, if, if Genesis 12 the promise of the coming Messiah was all that was required, why wouldn't God have just skipped? So from basically 12, right here, to the start of my New Testament, right, I'm just making this up as we go, as you can obviously tell, um, right about here. Why didn't God just skip 
that whole middle section. Why? Well, Paul's like, hey, I'm glad you asked. Because if you look at Galatians 3 and verse 19, look at what Paul, I love this why Paul, Paul, because he was so intellectual, he was so like methodical in his thinking, he's telling you guys, God didn't, Abraham was not saved through the law, he was saved through believing in the promise of God that Christ would come. And then he says, why the law then? I love how he, he like, he, he like, um, he knows this is the question our hearts ask. Then what is all that about? Well, he tells us. Just jump down to verse 21 in the interest of time. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? In other words, he's saying, are there two different ways to be saved? Certainly not. For if the law had been given, that could, that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith could be revealed. So, so, so get this. So here's what he's saying. He's saying God gave us the law for a purpose. And it was to make the promise even more beautiful. He's saying God gave us the law on purpose. And it was to reveal sin. Guys, the reason God gave us the law, the reason God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and the other laws and, and, and all the prophets is so that sin would reign. So that we would see a need for a savior. Now where do I get that? Glad you asked. Here's the very next verse. First look at verse 24. So then, the law was our guardian, our tutor actually is the best translation of that word in Greek. The law was our tutor until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So what was the point of the law? What was the point of this adoption? The point of all of this was to show our need so that the gospel, would see, the, the, the gospel, which is the promise, would seem even more beautiful and more powerful. Now look at verse 29, and then we'll go back to our points. He says, so if, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. There's the point. Guys, remember, why did Christ come? What did Christ's coming really do for you? It made adoption possible. How? Right there in verse 29. If, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Guys, are any of you in here Jewish? I mean, there might be some. Are any of you in here Jewish? I mean, we've had Jewish people come, you know, come into our, like, like Messianic Jews come. Guys, that doesn't make them children of the promise. What Paul is saying is the people that are in Christ are children of the promise. They're saved, they're, and, and get this, they're heirs according to the promise. Heirs. Guys, that, that's adoption. Where he started. And, 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 that's, and that's why when we turn to what we think of as chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child. He's saying, guys, those of you that have been adopted into the family of God have everything God has to offer. So why don't we live that way? Now, part of it is because we don't understand adoption very well. Right? And we'll talk about that in the next point. But, but guys, one of the things we're going to talk about in the practical theology class starting in January 18th is adoption. Like, what does that mean biblically? Like, what, are those, what does it mean to be adopted into the family of God? There's a lot of theology there that will really shape how you think about your faith walk. 
and then in turn shape how you invite other people into your faith walk. That's why we're doing the class on practical theology. It's not so we can all get big heads and know more about God. It's because when we know more about God, guess what? We want to give him away all the more because we realize, man, he is seriously worthy of being given away. Now look at why don't, well, let me ask you a question. Why don't we live as heirs better than we do? Like, more, like, why is it so hard for us to live in the riches and the promise that is ours? How are we doing with that? Like, how are you doing? I mean, we just celebrated Christmas. If we really believe what everything that the last, you know, three or four weeks or however long you spent preparing for Christmas, if we really believe the scene we saw on Friday night, you celebrated yesterday as a family, if you did, if we really believe that, why do we live as paupers? Why are we so, I I love how, um, I think it was C.S. Lewis, he said, why are we so willing to settle for making mud pies when God has invited us to the banquet of the king? That's what Paul is trying to tell us here. So, that's your second talking points question. Look at your second talking points question. It says, if I can find it here, it says, what kinds of, so again, I'm just going to, I'm asking you for an answer here. What kinds of things make it so hard to live in the limitless inheritance your adoption in Christ made possible? What kinds of things hinder us? So I'm going to take a drink of water. Think about that. What kinds of things make it hard to live in the inheritance that is ours if Christmas is true? Okay, man, there's a whole lot of good answers. Well, I was taking a drink. I should take drinks more often. Okay, so I heard guilt. I'm not worthy. Those two things go together. I heard expectations. And then ultimately, what I heard Debbie say was, we are foreigners in a foreign land. That's what Peter tells us. Right? This world is not our home. And, and so we tend to fit in too well. We, like we, we are a go-along kind of people. I mean, let's face it. We are lemmings in a lot of ways, like human beings are, right? Like we follow the crowd, and, and because of that, and, be, and because the crowd is of this kingdom, not his kingdom, it tends to distract us greatly. Plus, guys, here's the other thing we are. We're, we're like the dog in, uh, was it up? Squirrel. Right? Like, oh, what, you know, like we, we, we not, only, not only do we, do we and I mean, because sometimes we hear things like follow the crowd or fit in, and we think of all, only just dark, evil things or bad things or obviously unchristian things. But what about just like, like, like we're pursuing, I mean, how many of us, you know, we're, we're hoping to get a gift we didn't get yesterday for Christmas? Or how many of us, like, like we all want the new, the best, the shiniest, the what, like, like we are pursue, our, our hearts pursue things that in the end, will have no kingdom significance for his kingdom whatsoever. Like, we are just so easily distracted as a people. We just are. Like I said, I'm squirrel. What, you know, shiny, pretty, whatever. Like, we just are. It's who we are. And so that's part, part of why we gather, part of why we chose to, to gather this Sunday, even though a lot of churches were like, you know what, it's the, it's the, it's the day after Christmas. Nobody's coming anyway. Let's not gather. It's like, guys, our, my soul needs this. Because it reminds, don't thank me, I, I didn't do anything but show up. But, um, but there are a lot of people that it takes a lot of work to make this kind of stuff happen the day after Christmas. Praise God for them. But, but the point is that, that 
why we chose to, to gather is because we know that we, we need this. Because this is kingdom living. Right? This is citizenship right here in the kingdom. And we go back out there and it's distraction and it's all those other things. And so we, we desperately need to gather. So thank you guys for just encouraging my heart and one another's hearts um, more, even more importantly. So, what did Christ's coming actually do for you? One, it made adoption possible. Possible. Not everyone is adopted into the family of God. So the next thing is, it made us possible to what? To live as sons and daughters of the living God. To live as sons and daughters of the living God. So let's pick it up where we left off in verse 4. And this is really what brought me to this passage for today. Because in verse 4 of, of Galatians 4, chapter 4, it says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Guys, the fullness, I love that picture, the fullness of time came. I, there's, a, there's, a, there's a passage in 1 Peter that says this. It says, Concerning your salvation, the prophets, and, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was yours searched and inquired carefully. So here's what here's what there's here's ultimately what he's saying. He's saying that the prophets, looking forward to the promise, so the prophets lived before Christ came. The, the prophets looking forward to the promise, they're searching for the salvation. This is first Peter 1, chapter or verses 10 through 12, if you're taking notes. They're looking, they're trying to figure out when what, what's going on here, inquiring about when the Spirit of Christ would come. It says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Peter's talking to the church. He's saying, guys, it was revealed to the prophets that ultimately the promise wasn't about the nation of Israel. The promise was about Jesus. It was about the promise to the world. And he says, in these things that have been announced through those who preach the good news to you, who preach the gospel, because that was the promise, by the Holy Spirit, now get this, things in which angels long to look. Now think about that, guys. This story that God is telling, Abraham promised, covenants, heirs, all this stuff, it is so miraculous, so amazing, that angels like Gabriel, who came to Mary, and said, you're going to have, the reason he's so excited is because he's like, man, I've been watching these promises get, get like laid out over eons of time. And in this moment, right now, in the middle of nowhere, Israel, this young nobody girl is going to get to fulfill so many of them. Like in her, it will be fulfilled. Like literally in her, baby Jesus. And, and he is so excited. Why? Because they don't fully understand God's plan either. So they're like looking down right now going, what's next? Like, what's next? What do you want to send me to do next, God? Even as four of them hold back, praise God, until people come to faith, hold back the judgment that is to come, is what Revelation shows us. Okay, let's keep going. So look at this, in verse 5. So he in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might be, receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It goes back to the passage that John read for our calling passage. 
Guys, I, I said it on Friday night. If you're a born-again believer, if you, have, if you have the spirit of the living God in you, you have more of Christ in you than Mary ever did. That's, that's what Paul's telling us in Galatians. That's what he's telling us in Romans. He's saying the spirit of God has give, who's given to you as a pledge of your inheritance allows you... You cry out, Abba, Father, not just because God, not because God is this warm, fuzzy feeling to you. It's because he is literally your father, and you are literally an heir to his riches. That's what it amounts to. Like, that's what adoption brings. Now, guys, I, I have to talk about the elephant in the room for just a minute. Because for some of us, words like adoption and family and father don't bring good, mind, good things to mind. Maybe they don't bring bad things to mind, but maybe they just bring, like, yeah, that really wasn't a big deal to me. Here's the thing. Jesus knows that. My God, my God, my Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? He got it in that moment. But he got it way before that too. Guys, did Jesus understand family dysfunction? His family tried to throw him off a cliff. How's yours? Like seriously. His family tried to huck, chuck him off of a cliff. Just for sharing the good news about who he is. He gets family dysfunction. It's why it's such a big deal. What you think about, what you feel when you think about God may be the most important thing about you. Why? Because it affects, do you really believe that, that God has sent his spirit in his, of his son into your heart and he is your perfect, loving unrelenting, pursuing Heavenly Father. That He loves you unconditionally. Why? Because His, his Son, Jesus Christ, fulfilled all the conditions. So He can. So you are no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then you are heir through God. Guys, turn if you would, because it's just real clear. It's real close. Turn to the first chapter of Ephesians. I want to show you what what went air, like what being an heir looks like, like how, how you became a son or a daughter, an heir, and how it's so glorious. So just a couple pages past Galatians is Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 says this. Blessed be the God of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Guys, that's what being an Present tense. You get that? Paul's talking to you. He's talking to me. Present tense. He has blessed. Not, not he will bless. Not someday when we go to the sweet by and by he'll bless. He has blessed us. Present tense. In Christ. With every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Even as he chose us. That's past tense by the way. In him. When? Before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, so that to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness, there's that word phrase again, when the fullness of time came. Remember Galatians 4, 4? As the plan for the fullness of time 
to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. Guys, here's the thing about the things. When the fullness of time came, Galatians 4.4, God sent forth his son. That's Christmas. That's what we just celebrated, the first advent, the first coming. And then it's saying here, and there's a plan. When the fullness of time comes again, he will unite all things to him, things in heaven and on earth. Because part of why it's so hard for us to live within the inheritance that is already ours in Christ is what Debbie was just sharing. Like, like we are not citizens of this world. Our citizenship has been transferred into the heavenly kingdom. But here's the problem. The heavenly kingdom is, is an already but not yet kingdom. The kingdom is here and now because we're here and he's in us. And where he is, his kingdom is. But he is also seated at the right hand of God. And someday that kingdom and this kingdom are going to slam together. And all that's going to be left, all that's going to be left, all that's going to be left is the kingdom of God. Because he is going to open up the lake of fire and he's going to throw Satan and his minions and all those who have followed him there for all eternity. We are left here to proclaim the beauty of the promise. The beauty of the promise that that God fulfills his promises. So let's go back to our passage in Galatians, and we're going to start to land this plane. So the question we're looking at is, what did Christ's coming truly accomplish for you? Right? The, the thing I want, you to, I, I want you to understand is that what it ultimately accomplished for you is a complete identity conversion. What we fail to live in as Christians is that complete identity conversion. Like, we have already been completely converted in a very real sense from God's perspective. It's what Paul just said. He has blessed us in the heavenlies with every blessing. And yet we're still stuck here, as John prayed in our opening, in our opening prayer, like dealing with this brokenness of our flesh, the brokenness of the world. But, but as we answer our last talking points question, this will, this will affect everything. Everything about how you live in the coming days, weeks, months, and years, especially with all that's going on in our world and all that will be happening in our world in the future. So the talking points, question number three says this. Finish this statement. Because I am a son or daughter of the living God, I am blank. Because I am a son or daughter of the living God, I am blank. The question is, how would you fill in the blank? My hope is that 2022 will be used by the Lord because you are being intentional. As Brian shared during the prayer time, there's this part where like, God just shows up and fills the can. And then there's parts where God wants us to show up and do something. Right? So I'm, I'm praying that as those two things come together, that as God fills your can in 2022 and you show up and do something in 2022 and grow in your, not just your walk with him, but your walk with others in walking them to him, that ultimately your blank gets completely reconverted. That, that you understand that, man, and, and start living consistent with that. Start living consistent with what, what God, be, with what the great I am says about who you are. So our last point is, so as we look at this, what did Christ's coming actually do? Well, one, his coming made adoption possible so you could be called sons and daughters of the living God and no longer slaves of sin in the world. So look at the last two verses we're going to look at today, verses 8 and 9 of Galatians 4. 
It says, formerly when you, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God. So in other words, he's saying you were living as idol worshipers. He's saying you were, yeah, so, so and, and an idol is anything you want more than you want God. An idol doesn't have to be a little statue. It, they are. If you have little statues of other gods in your house, get rid of them. Right? But if, but it could also be your, my, like for me, a long, for a long time, my, my idol was my family. Like, do anything, Lord, just do anything you need to do to use me how you'd use me, but don't mess with my family. By definition, that makes my family an idol. So you know what he did? He messed with my family. And that's okay. Because he showed me that even through that mess, he's still my God. Some of you have had that experience. So you ask yourself what your idols are. Because he's saying you were enslaved by them. As long as you're pursuing something other than God, you are enslaved by it. You just are. It could be something as big as a family and something as small as an iPhone. Verse 9. But now you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to be once more? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, guys, wait a minute. You, you, he's, he's talking to the church, people. He's not talking to the unbelieving world. He's talking to the church. He's talking to us. And he's saying, now that you've tasted of the grace of God, why do you keep wanting to pursue all this other stuff? And here's the answer, because the war is real. He knows it. We're going to see that in Romans. He gets it firsthand that the war is real, that the battle rages. That, that the reason we get drawn back into all that junk is because we still struggle with our flesh. Like we're still struggling. But, but here's the ultimate, question, the ultimate answer to the question, what did Christ's coming bring you? And how it even relates to citizenship. Here's what Christ's coming brought you. Freedom. Freedom. I'm so tempted to, to try to, cry, to scream it out like the dude on Braveheart. Freedom! Right? Because that's the way we ought to think of it. Guys, look, look at, I promise, last, pat, last verse we're going to look at, Galatians 5. Because I want to let Paul prove to you that this is the point he's making. We are heirs of the promise. The promise was of Abraham, that, that, that Abraham believed, got saved the same way we do by believing in that promise. All those things are true. Why? So we could be adopted. Why? So we could be adopted, so that we could be sons and daughters of the living God. What difference does any of that make anyway? And that ultimately means that if you are living consistent with who Christ died to make you, you are free. Because he says right there in Galatians 5, chapter 1, for freedom Christ has set you free. For freedom, Christ has set you free. As the music team comes up and we go into our time of response, guys, think about this. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Guys, as you think about and, and, and grab a packet on the way out to start thinking about your planning for 2022, guys, what has enslaved you? What is enslaving you now? It doesn't have to be ugly stuff like what is it you're pursuing ahead of christ and his kingdom 
What, what things are you, and I, and I know at some level I'm preaching to the choir because you're the ones that showed up on Sunday morning a day after Christmas. I get it. We all still have things to list. What are you pursuing? Why is this so hard? Guys, the reason Christ came is to change our citizenship. So he emptied himself into a citizen of the human race so that he could set the human race free for those who believe. But the battle is real, guys. The, the battle for your identity has never been harder than it is now. It's just, it's just part of the world we're living in. And how you finish that thought, because I'm a son or daughter of the living God, I am blank, really matters. And it's really hard. Why is it so hard? Here's why it's so hard. I'm just going to list a few things and pray, and we're going to go into our time of communion. There'll be some couples around the room that will have communion, and we'll take communion as couples. But here are four things that the Spirit gave me. The, fle the flesh is powerful. This is why living as a citizen is so hard. The flesh is powerful. The f my flesh wants to say, man, you're amazing. You love you. We're all, guys, we're all that way. It sounds a little funny, but it's true. Nobody loves you more than you. That's a problem for all of us. But the world says this, because it wants chaos. You're awesome. Just you be you. And, if, and, and, and the world knows, man, if we can get enough of these UBUers going around, pretty soon we have complete chaos because you can't all be you. Like you can't all be the, any version of you you want to be because some of those versions of you are going to clash with other versions of you. And then what do we do? Well, we have the mess we have. But here's the other one. This is the one I hear more, more than the other two. Well, I struggle with the I love me. The enemy says, Satan, says, you're awful. You be ashamed of you. Remember when we talked about that? That culture of shame that is so powerful. But here's the beauty of it, and I end with this. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, you know what he says? You're mine. And he says, and that's all that matters. He says that I say you're mine is all that should matter to you. And when we really believe that, it will change everything about how we live in the coming days and weeks and year and years until he returns. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for um, the beauty that is the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you for the, just the magnificent, magnificence of it, of how you have woven this crazy story together for thousands of years to bring us to this place in Bethlehem where, where you would empty yourself into a baby born in a barn so that you could grow up to be a man, so that you could live the life we could not live, perfectly fulfilling the law. But then, but then be killed unjustly to wipe away the debt that we have incurred by our rebellion. 
Because of your unjust death, you paid the debt for our just punishment. That's the gospel. That's the promise that Abraham believed. Abraham must have known that he was a train wreck, just like all of us. But that you were going to take care of the wreck through the promise of your Messiah. Your Messiah, Yeshua, came. And he will come again. Lord, I thank you that that even as your word showed us today, that, that before the foundation of the world, in some mysterious way, you looked down and you said, you're mine. And someday I'm going to show you what that means. And then someday soon again for all of us in this room who are struggling in the war, the war of our own self, the war of the world, the war of Satan, you're going to show us fully who you are and fully who we are in Christ. But oh God, I I do pray that in the meantime, And you would strengthen us, that you would strengthen your sweet sons and daughters, that our identity would be found in Christ alone, that the things of this world would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace, that when we have those moments of discouragement or distraction or fear or frustration, when when we're tempted to fit in, May we hear you say behind us, you're mine. You're mine. I died to come and make you mine. And may we hear a word behind us saying, so this is the way. This is the way. Just walk in it. And there we'll find you. Arms wide open. Always ready to receive. Always ready to forgive. Always ready to remind us that you've made it all right. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden you will find rest for your souls. That's your invitation. In Jesus' name. Amen.